I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. They don't like too much how we talk out here on the range. But if the truth is dangerous, then bring on the danger. It's high noon for Thursday, May 20th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also, from time to time, find me on Gab at I'm Your Moderator. And the merch site is www.cancelcotour.com. Today is the 120th day of Barack Obama's third term, as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You tried to get everything you wanted by telling the entire world that you're scared of everything. And you've changed from the bratty child who gets whatever he or she wants because no one wants to deal with the trouble of saying no to the sorts of people who are such whiners that people actually take pleasure in saying no to you. I guess that's a win. And of course, I want to extend a warm Thursday high noon welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hi, commies. We see you. We know you're there. We want you to immigrate back to America. And you will eventually, or you'll just go insane. So you should come back to America as soon as possible, because then you get to participate in the American Renaissance, and that's going to be brilliant. Or you can just live the rest of your life in shame for having done so much to destroy everyone around you who disagrees with you. And the thing is, all those people disagreeing with you are right about all of it. It's true. You got the entire thing wrong. At some point, you're going to have to accept it. Now, the other day, Newsweek accidentally did real journalism, and a person named William Arkin wrote an article published on May 17th called Inside the Military's Secret Undercover Army. And it's long, so I'm going to go through part of it. It's really, really interesting. And everyone should go check this out and read it in full. The largest undercover force the world has ever known is the one created by the Pentagon over the past decade. Some 60,000 people now belong to this secret army, many working under masked identities and in low profile, all part of a broad program called Signature Reduction. The force, more than 10 times the size of the clandestine elements of the CIA, carries out domestic and foreign assignments. 
both in military uniforms and under civilian cover in real life and online, sometimes hiding in private businesses and consultancies, some of them household name companies. The unprecedented shift has placed an ever greater number of soldiers, civilians and contractors working under false identities, partly as a natural result in the growth of secret special forces, but also as an intentional response to the challenges of traveling and operating in an increasingly transparent world. The explosion of Pentagon cyber warfare, moreover, has led to thousands of spies who carry out their day-to-day work in various made-up personas, the very type of nefarious operations the United States decries when Russian and Chinese spies do the same. Newsweek's exclusive report on this secret world is the result of a two-year investigation involving the examination of over of over 600 resumes and 1,000 job postings, dozens of Freedom of Information Act requests, and scores of interviews with participants and defense decision makers. What emerges is a window into not just a little-known sector of the American military, but also a completely unregulated practice. No one knows the program's total size, and the explosion of signature reduction has never been examined for its impact on military policies and culture. Congress has never held a hearing on the subject. And yet the military developing this gigantic clandestine force challenges U.S. laws, the Geneva Conventions, the Code of Military Conduct, and basic accountability. Well, that sounds, and I'm sure I'm wrong, but that sounds like something a deep state would do. The signature reduction effort engages some 130 private companies to administer the new clandestine world. Dozens of little-known and secret government organizations support the program, doling out classified contracts and overseeing publicly unacknowledged operations. Altogether, the companies pull in over $900 million annually to service the clandestine force, doing everything from creating false documentation and paying the bills and taxes of individuals operating under assumed names to manufacturing disguises and other devices to thwart detection and identification, to building invisible devices to photograph and listen in on activity in the most remote corners of the Middle East and Africa. Special operations forces can constitute over half the entire signature reduction force, the shadow warriors who pursue terrorists in war zones from Pakistan to West Africa, but also increasingly work in unacknowledged hotspots, including behind enemy lines in places like North Korea and Iran. Military intelligence specialists, collectors, counterintelligence agents, even linguists make up the second largest element, thousands deployed at any one time with some degree of cover to protect their true identities. The newest and fastest growing group is the clandestine army that never leaves their keyboards. These are the cutting edge cyber fighters and intelligence collectors who assume false personas online, employing non-attribution and misattribution techniques to hide the who and the where of their online presence while they search for high value targets and collect what is called, quote, publicly accessible information, end quote, or even engage in campaigns to influence and manipulate social media. Hundreds work in and for the NSA, but over the past five years, every military intelligence and special operations unit has developed some kind of web operations cell that both collects intelligence and tends to the operational security of its very activities. In the electronic era, a major task of signature reduction is keeping all of the organizations and people, even the automobiles and aircraft involved in the clandestine operations, masked. This protective effort entails everything from scrubbing the Internet of telltale signs of true identities to planning false information to protect missions and people. 
As standard unforgettable identification and biometrics have become worldwide norms, the signature reduction industry also works to figure out ways of spoofing and defeating everything from fingerprinting and facial recognition at border crossings to ensure that undercover operatives can enter and operate in the United States, manipulating official records to ensure that false identities match up. Are you worried about any of this yet? I am. Why? Because most of the people in our intelligence community, at least in the CIA and the FBI in particular, and then I'm sure in some military intelligence, I mean, the military right now is trying to purge itself of Trump supporters by calling them extremists and white supremacists. So the breakdown of trust in all of these institutions is obvious and real. And the idea that this stuff is being used regularly in America to influence American politics, to track American citizens. This is potentially really dark stuff. Just as biometrics and real ID are the enemies of clandestine work, so too is the digital exhaust of online life. One major concern of counterterrorism work in the ISIS age is that military families are also vulnerable. Another reason, participants say, to operate under false identities. Oh, the ISIS age. You mean when Barack Obama was president and now that Joe Biden is fake president. That's the ISIS age. Donald Trump stopped ISIS. The abundance of online information about individuals, together with some, spe uh, some spectacular foreign hacks, has enabled foreign intelligence services to better unmask fake identities of American spies. Signature reduction is thus at the center of not only counterterrorism, but is part of the Pentagon's shift toward great power competition with Russia and China. Competition, influence, and disruption below the level of armed conflict, or what the military calls warfare in the gray zone, a space, quote, in the peace conflict continuum. And that's where we find ourselves now. I mean, I would tell you, and I think a lot of people who follow this stuff would tell you, that we are in the midst of World War III right now, and it's irregular warfare. It's biological warfare, obviously, and it's information warfare, and it's economic warfare. All of those things are happening right now. The idea that the Pentagon under Barack Obama and under Joe Biden are somehow fixated on a great power competition with Russia and China seems off in some way to me. If you are part of the global reset power structure, if you are part of the power structure that is attempting to usher in global communism and one world multilateral government, then you're not really in a great power competition with Russia and China. You're just pretending to be. One recently retired senior officer responsible for overseeing signature reduction and super secret special access programs that shield them from scrutiny and compromise says that no one is fully aware of the extent of the program, nor has much consideration been given to the implications for the military institution. Everything from the status of the Geneva Conventions, where a soldier operating under false identity to be captured by an enemy, to congressional oversight is problematic, he says. He worries that the desire to become more invisible to the enemy not just obscures what the United States is doing around the world, but also makes it more difficult to bring conflicts to a close. 
Most people haven't even heard of the term signature reduction, let alone what it creates, he says. The officer spoke on the condition of anonymity because he is discussing highly classified matters. Now, when you're talking about bringing conflicts to a close, you can look at something like Afghanistan right now. Donald Trump had planned to take us out of Afghanistan permanently at the beginning of this month. And Joe Biden took that date and pushed it back. Why? Why is Liz Cheney freaking out? Why are the neocons freaking out? Why is the entire corrupt Washington establishment freaking out? Because they don't want these conflicts to end. These conflicts serve strategic political goals. And they serve the military industrial complex in their push for never ending war. If there are constant threats around the world, including ones we create undercover, then there's a constant need for us to have a military presence all over this earth so that we can run these operations. We've been in Afghanistan for nearly 20 years. What good did we get out of that? Barack Obama still allowed ISIS to be created. He has appeased Iran, as has Joe Biden. And now we can see the result of that in the Israel-Palestine conflict that is ongoing with no apparent end in sight. Palestine and parts of the global community are talking about a ceasefire, but there doesn't seem to be one in the offing. You don't get to shoot rockets into Israel and then once you start getting absolutely pounded by Israel, say that you want a ceasefire. You shouldn't have started firing. Sooner or later, these conflicts aren't just going to be strategic moves by world powers. Like, let's hit Israel for a little while, and then Israel will hit back, and this will destabilize things so that we can put our agenda back into place. Because Trump was busy creating Middle East peace. I'm actually amazed that they haven't pushed Israel too far prior to this. And I'm going to skip around in this a little bit. Like I said, it's very long. So I'm going to jump down to the section called Signature Reduction is a Term of Art. Numerous Signature Reduction SAPs, programs with names like Hurricane Fan, Island Hopper, and Peanut Chocolate, are administered by a shadowy world of secret organizations that service the clandestine army, the Defense Program Support Activity, Joint Field Support Center, Army Field Support Center, Personnel Resources Development Office, Office of Military Support, Project Cardinals, and the Special Program Office. Befitting how secret this world is, there is no unclassified definition of signature reduction. The Defense Intelligence Agency, which operates the Defense Clandestine Service and the Defense Cover Service, says that signature reduction is a term of art, one that individuals might use to describe operational security measures for a variety of activities and operations. In response to Newsweek queries that point out that dozens of people have used the term to refer to this world, DIA suggests that perhaps the Pentagon can help. But the person responsible there, identified as a DOD spokesperson, says only that as it relates to human operations, that's human intelligence, signature reduction is not an official term and that it is used to describe measures taken to protect operations. Another senior former intelligence official, someone who ran an entire agency and asks not to be named because he was not authorized to speak about clandestine operations, says that signature reduction exists in a twilight between covert and undercover. 
The former, defined in law, is subject to presidential approval and officially belongs to the CIA's National Clandestine Service. The latter connotes strictly law enforcement efforts undertaken by people with a badge. And then there is the Witness Protection Program, administered by the U.S. Marshal Service of the Justice Department, which tends to the fake identities and lives of people who have been resettled in exchange for their cooperation with prosecutors and intelligence agencies. The military doesn't conduct covert operations, the senior former official says, and military personnel don't fight undercover. That is, except when they do, either because individuals are assigned, sheep-dipped, to the CIA, or because certain military organizations, particularly those of the Joint Special Operations Command, operate like the CIA, often alongside them in covert status, where people who depend on each other for their lives don't know each other's real names. Then there are an increasing number of government investigators, military, FBI, Homeland Security, and even state officials who are not undercover per se, but who avail themselves of signature reduction status like fake IDs and fake license plates when they work domestically, particularly when they are engaged in extreme vetting of American citizens of Arab, South Asian, and increasingly African background who have applied for security clearances. It's actually sad that we can't be kind of proud of this sort of thing and think it's awesome you know like when i was a kid watching spy movies and seeing all like the gadgets and the crazy like misdirection they use that stuff was all really fascinating like yeah we're tricking everybody this is great now it's like yeah they're tricking americans and accusing a president of colluding with russia because they talked to some guy in England who gave them a dossier about a P-tape? And then we have Robert Mueller investigating. We have the FBI abusing FISA warrants. We have all of these people unaccountable to anyone. We have them lying in Senate hearings, congressional hearings. No remorse whatsoever. We hear them going out on CNN like John Brennan does constantly, just making things up, targeting American citizens as enemies of the country, feeding fake stories to the media. Again, remember the Fusion GPS story from the other day? It would be great if we all could have faith in these organizations that the things they were doing are actually for the benefit of Americans. But when you're working undercover overseas to destabilize places so that our military needs to come in and fix things, that's not really working to the benefit of the American people or the United States as a sovereign nation. And it harms our moral credibility when responding to the sorts of things that China and Iran and other countries just did in our November election. But this is where it gets crazy. I'm jumping down again. Fake hands, fake faces. Wigs, covert communication devices, fake rocks. In our world of electronic everything, where everything becomes a matter of record, where you can't enter a parking garage without the license plate being recorded, where you can't check in for a flight or a hotel without a government-issued ID, where you can't use a credit card without the location being captured, how can biometrics be defeated? How can someone get past fingerprint readers? In 99 out of 100 cases, the answer is there is no need to. 
Most signature reduction soldiers travel under real names, exchanging operational identities only once on the ground where they operate. Or they infiltrate across borders in places like Pakistan and Yemen, conducting the most dangerous missions. These signature reduction missions are the most highly sensitive and involve close-in intelligence collection or the use of miniaturized enemy tracking devices, each existing in their own special access programs. Missions that are so sensitive they have to be personally approved by the Secretary of Defense. And thank goodness we have such a legitimate man of integrity as the Secretary of Defense under the enfeebled usurper of the free world. And I'm talking, of course, about Lloyd Austin, who put Bishop Garrison in place, who is now on a racial jihad inside the Defense Department to turn everything into critical race theory and purge the military of people that push back against the Marxist agenda, like Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer, who you should look up, check out his book. He was just on War Room today. Very interesting interview. Check him out. But that's what's happening in the military right now under Lloyd Austin. And look up Bishop Garrison, by the way. Revolver.news has done some really great work on him. For the 1%, though, for those who have to make it through passport control under false identities, there are various biometrics defeat systems some physical and some electronic. One such program was alluded to in a little-noticed document dump published by WikiLeaks in early 2017 called Vault 7. Over 8,000 classified CIA tools used in the covert world of electronic spying and hacking. It is called ExpressLane, where U.S. intelligence has embedded malware into foreign biometrics and watch list systems, allowing American cyber spies to steal foreign data. An IT wizard working for WikiLeaks in Berlin says the code with ExpressLane suggests that the United States can manipulate these databases. Imagine for a moment that someone is going through passport control, he says, hesitant to use his real name because of fear of indictment in the United States. NSA or CIA is tasked to corrupt, change, the data on the day the covert asset goes through and then switch it back. It's not impossible. Another source pointed to a small rural North Carolina company in the signature reduction industry, mostly in the clandestine collection and communications field. In the workshop and training facility where they teach operators how to fabricate secret listening devices into everyday objects, they are at the cutting edge, or so their promotional materials say, a repository for molding and casting, special painting, and sophisticated aging techniques. This quiet company can transform any object, including a person, as they do in Hollywood, a silicon face appliance sculpted to perfectly alter someone's looks. They can change age, change gender, and increase body mass, as one classified contract says. And they can change fingerprints using a silicon sleeve that fits so snugly over a real hand that it can't be detected. Embedding altered fingerprints and even impregnated with the oils found in real skin. Asked whether the appliance is effective, one source, who has gone through the training, laughs. If I tell you, I'll have to kill you. In real life, identity theft, mostly by criminals intent on profit, remains an epidemic that affects everyone. But for those in the intelligence and counterterrorism worlds, the enemy is also actively engaged in efforts to compromise personal information. In 2015, the Islamic State posted the names, photos, and addresses of over 1,300 U.S. military personnel. 
instructing supporters to target and kill the identified individuals. The FBI said the release was followed by suspected Russian hackers who masqueraded as members of ISIS and threatened military families through Facebook. We know everything about you, your husband and your children, one menacing message said. Now, that sentence right there is a little interesting. Suspected Russian hackers. Okay, just keep that in mind throughout the next few weeks as we start finding out more about the colonial pipeline hack. A lot of people think that that's and I don't know. Obviously, speculation, but a lot of people think that that's actually a CIA inside job because they have a program called Umbridge, which makes it possible to disguise the hacking operation with the signature of a hacking operation familiar to other countries. And you could actually hear Joe Biden talk about it. He said it doesn't look like Russia was involved, but it could have still been something that happened from Russia. So it's like they know it's not Russia, but they're going to say it might be Russia. And again, this is one of those things that you can never really prove as just a normal citizen. I mean, something like WikiLeaks could come out and we could find out. There are other ways that that information could ultimately be divulged. But as normal people right now, we have no way of knowing. And so many of these problems are completely invisible. You know, when something gets this is the same with the solar winds hack, which we will still find out more about. And all the communists right now, for some reason, believe is Russia. Same thing, though. There's absolutely no reason to believe that's Russia. And even amongst this really genuinely pretty good reporting, you can still see these little hints of bias. Russia and China were in a great power competition with them. But then here suspected Russian hackers. So they're naming an adversary as probably responsible for this. And they're saying, hey, commies, it's cool. Go ahead and think it's Russia. I'm not going to think anything is Russia until I actually understand a reason why it would be Russia. I'm not going to believe it when they say that Russia did something just because I'm supposed to already know that Russia is very scary and very bad. And by the way, maybe they are. I'm not even disputing that part. I'm saying that I'm not going to base my belief on a prior belief that I am supposed to have adopted hook, line, and sinker, right? I'm totally open to the idea that Russia is very bad. But I also know that other people are very bad. And so you can't just tell me that something was Russia and I'll be like, oh, yeah, it's those bad Russians again. Russia doesn't pose half the threat that China poses. Russia doesn't pose half the threat that the people who rigged this election and installed Joe Biden into the fake presidency poses. I'm much more concerned about China and that group of individuals, however big it is and however wide that web spreads, I am much more concerned about them than I am about suspected Russian hackers. Counterintelligence and OPSEC officials began a large-scale effort to inform those affected, but also warn military personnel and their families to better protect their personal information on social media. The next year, ISIS released 8,318 target names, the largest ever release until it was topped by 8,785 names in 2017. 
I am really interested to see how closely those lists of names match up with the lists of names of people they are targeting for this political purge that they're enacting now. It was revealed that military personnel sharing location information in their fitness devices were apparently revealing the locations of sensitive operations merely by jogging and sharing their data. The rapid development of new and innovative information technologies enhances the quality of our lives, but also poses potential challenges to operational security and force protection, U.S. Central Command said in a statement at the time to The Washington Post. I would actually argue that it doesn't improve the quality of our lives by all that much. I mean, listen, I like having my phone. I like having the information. I also am addicted to my phone. I imagine it will probably cause me health problems at some time. In the future, I think it's already given me carpal tunnel. I don't need to be connected to the information world all day long. In fact, I'm happier often when I'm not connected to it. I mean, I spend most of my time doing that now, obviously. But at some point, I would like to maybe just turn the volume down on that a few notches, just for a few hours a day. But our overly technological life is not making us better people and it's not making us happier people and it's actually not even making us smarter people if we are cognizant of the points at which we do not know more about a subject and we can go to the internet to get some help and fill in the holes for us awesome as a research tool if you have discernment it's awesome Otherwise, this overflow of information is affecting most of the population very badly. A lot of the disinformation out there and a lot of the stuff that hooks these communists into this terrible, stupid, evil movement that they have walked themselves into accidentally. That overflow of information is not helpful for them. It actually just allows them to satisfy their addictive need to continue proving themselves justified while holding the most evil beliefs imaginable. Then came the DNA scare when Admiral John Richardson, then Chief of Naval Operations, warned military personnel and their families to stop using at-home ancestry DNA kits. Be careful who you send your DNA to, Richardson said, warning that scientific advancements would soon be able to exploit the information, creating more and more targeted biological weapons in the future. And indeed, in 2019, the Pentagon officially advised military personnel to steer clear of popular DNA services. Why didn't they tell everybody else? Exposing sensitive genetic information to outside parties poses personal and operational risks to service members, said the memo, first reported by Yahoo News. We're still in the infancy of our transparent world, says the retired senior officer, cautioning against imagining that there is some identity gap similar to the bomber gap of cold of the Cold War. We're winning this war, including on the cyber side, even if secrecy about what we're doing makes the media portrayal of the Russians again look like they are 10 feet tall. What? He admits that processing big data in the future will likely further impinge on everyone's clandestine operations, but he says the benefits to society, even narrowly in just making terrorist activity and travel that much more difficult, outweigh the difficulties created for military operational security. The officer calls the secrecy legitimate, but says that the Defense Department leadership has dropped the ball in recognizing the big picture. 
The military services should be asking more questions about the ethics, propriety, and even legality of soldiers being turned into spies and assassins and what this means for the future. Still, the world of signature reduction keeps growing. Evidence, says the retired officer, that modern life is not as transparent as most of us think. And again, not to go too far down a road, but we've been seeing a hell of a lot of weird things. Recall the microphones when Joe Biden was supposedly speaking to reporters outside the White House and the helicopter that he was supposedly getting on, even though we could hear the helicopter sound and the blades weren't spinning and the microphones just passed right through his hands because it was CGI. That ain't great. I don't know if you guys have seen the video where Obama and Clinton and W are talking and Obama just straight up disappears, even though it's displayed to look like they're all in the same room. And then, of course, just the other day, we have Joe Biden pretending to drive an electric Ford F-150. Except there's a second steering wheel in front of the passenger seat and someone else is driving the car. The media asks Joe about how it is to drive. He says it's just great. So they're both in on the lie. Whoever's driving is in on the lie. It's a huge lie. It's all a show. So when you start seeing things like this, the masks, the alternate fingerprints, changing genders, all of this, this is a little bit bananas with everything that's going on. And so I wanted to point it out. Everyone should take a look at this article and keep it in mind because we are seeing a lot of really, really weird, unexplainable stuff. It must have a rational explanation somewhere. Maybe this is part of it. Now, I want to highlight another product of Freedom of Information Act requests on the part of Tom Fitton and Judicial Watch. They have an article up today. Actually, it was from yesterday, updated today. Montgomery County Public Schools spent $454,000 on anti-racist system audit. Got it? So that's taxpayer money going to an anti-racist system audit. $454,000. Judicial Watch announced today it received 685 pages of heavily redacted records from Montgomery County Public Schools, including documents related to their anti-racist system audit and critical race theory classes. The documents obtained under the Maryland Public Information Act reveal that students of Maryland's largest school district who attended Thomas Pyle Middle School's social justice class were taught that the phrase make America great again was an example of covert white supremacy. The phrase is ranked on a pyramid just below lynching, hate crimes, the N-word and racial slurs. They were also taught that white privilege means being favored by school authorities and having a positive relationship with the police. And this whole thing is absolutely bonkers. But just going down to the bottom here, a list of a few things just to understand what's actually being taught to middle schoolers. The students are suggested to view a TED Talk interview with Patrice Cullors, a founder of Black Lives Matter. That's the trained Marxist, by the way, who has like four houses. She has like a multi-million dollar real estate portfolio all around the country and lives in Topanga Canyon outside of Los Angeles, where the streets are paved with 
granola. And flowers actually spring from the ground and they're already patchouli. This class is provided definitions created by racialequalitytools.org. The terms that are defined include Black Lives Matter, which is defined as a political movement to address systemic and state violence against African-Americans. It claims that Black Lives Matter is an ideological and political intervention in a world where black lives are systematically and intentionally targeted for demise. Does that sound like it reflects reality? No, of course not. These people are communists. Power, defined among other things as wealth, whiteness, citizenship, patriarchy, heterosexism, and education are a few key social mechanisms through which power operates. This stuff is so crazy because the communists basically control all the levers of cultural power. So these oppression narratives are on their face dishonest. If the oppression narrative exists, if it reflects something real in the world, it is 100% specifically because of these communists. They're the ones who put this stuff in place. It's not a bunch of populist America first people putting into place policies that achieve the results they're talking about. Racist policies is defined with the statement. There is no such thing as a non-racist or race neutral policy. Got that? So anytime you disagree with them, it's not just that you have a difference of opinion. It's that you hold the racist opinion. And this was all the buzz last year with Ibram Kendi and Robin DeAngelo, these awful books that they wrote, attempting to convince the world that everyone must be constantly acting in a quote-unquote anti-racist manner or else be defined as a racist. And of course, anti-racism is whatever they say it is. So you cannot challenge the cultural power of this without being racist. White privilege, which is defined as, quote, to the unquestioned and unearned set of advantages, entitlements, benefits, and choices bestowed on people solely because they are white. And structural white privilege is described as a system of white domination that creates and maintains belief systems that make current racial advantages and disadvantages seem normal. Got that? So now you're not even allowed to hold beliefs that they don't like, or else you're racist. Being able to hold beliefs besides the commie ones that they are trying to spread is just proof of how white and how privileged you are. Under the heading white supremacy, White supremacy culture is defined as referring to, quote, the to the dominant unquestioned standards of behavior and ways of functioning embodied by the vast majority of institutions in the United States. End quote. White supremacy's culture is further defined as, quote, the glue that binds together white controlled institutions into systems and white controlled systems into the global white supremacy system. What in the world? Is that supposed to mean these exact same people 
are doing everything they can to expand the power of the Chinese Communist Party. So what about the world is white supremacist exactly? No better world is achieved for black Americans by doing whatever the Chinese Communist Party says and pushing us further and further toward global communism through things like the Black Lives Matter agenda, the Women's March agenda, the Green New Deal agenda, the Teachers Union agenda. By the way, all of these agendas are versions of the same thing. They're all the same principles applied specifically so that they sound like they're confronting one of these very important problems. Other defined terms include anti-black, colonization, racial recognition, racialization, structural racism, and whiteness. And if you recall, whiteness is what really needs to be eliminated from the world. That's what they say. They have no problem saying it. You'll remember when there was the massage parlor shooting that killed six Asian Americans and two white Americans. That was said to be racially motivated and anti-Asian hate crime. And then that writer from The Root wrote, whiteness is the pandemic. And he thinks that what needs to be eliminated from the world is whiteness. And somehow, in our white supremacist society, he's allowed to say that and be praised for it. We never really get an explanation about why this domineering white supremacist society allows that sort of thing to be said. And not even by private citizens on their private channels or in their private conversations. We're talking about people who publish this stuff at outlets that are respected by communists, at least, but they're prominent outlets. That doesn't sound like the white supremacist power structure is in control. Maybe the white supremacist power structure is more accepting of free speech than the communist power structure that we are dealing with right now as primarily Democrats try to use our justice system to target political opponents and use the tech companies to literally censor people with the approval and on the direction of state actors. Now let's check in with the most despicable son to ever walk the earth. And I'll say it again. The Daily Mail has been publishing legitimate stuff lately. I don't know if they've left like the communist reservation or something, but here's a headline. Former FBI director Louis Free gave $100,000 to a private trust for Joe Biden's grandchildren and spoke with the then vice president in 2016 to explore lucrative future work options with Hunter as the middleman. And this article is out today in the Daily Mail, written by Josh Boswell. Former FBI director Louis Free gave $100,000 to a private trust for Joe Biden's grandchildren and met with the then vice president in 2016 to explore with him some future work options, emails reveal. Free also spoke with then Vice President Biden in 2016 to explore with him some future work options, according to the bombshell communications. The emails suggest Free was trying to establish a future business relationship with Biden and the White House has failed to disclose to DailyMail.com whether Joe Biden discussed private business with Free while in office. 
According to the messages obtained by DailyMail.com from Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop, the former FBI director was working for three foreign businessmen and officials at the time who were all later convicted of various corruption charges, including a multi-billion dollar ransacking of a Malaysian wealth fund. Free himself was not implicated in those charges. The 71-year-old who served as FBI director under Bill Clinton and George Bush ran a consultancy firm with highly controversial clients, including a now-jailed Malaysian prime minister who stole billions of dollars from his country, a Romanian real estate tycoon convicted of bribery, and a French-Israeli diamond magnet later convicted of bribery and a $145 million property graft. Free, a former judge, emailed Joe's son, Hunter Biden, in 2016, revealing he had spoken with the vice president and proposed that they work together on private ventures once Biden left office. Oh, that's good to know. He was a judge. That means he's always doing everything perfectly because judges can't be corrupted, which is how you know that all the judges who decided not to take cases about 2020 election fraud did so because the because of the law, they were just upholding the integrity of their office in July that year in an email marked confidential and privileged free wrote to Hunter that he would be delighted to do future work with you. I also spoke to dad a few weeks ago and would like to explore with him some future work options. Free said, I believe that working together on these and other legal matters would be of value, fun and rewarding. Yeah, everything with Hunter is fun. Free brought up the idea again a month later and mentioned that he was working with the then Malaysian prime minister, Najib Razak, who was in the midst of a scandal over one of the world's biggest financial frauds and was later sentenced to 12 years in prison in 2020. I would like to talk with you and dad about working together next year. Free wrote to Hunter dad. I guess he and Joe are pretty good friends. No doubt both he and you have many options and probably some of which are more attractive than my small shop. As you know, we have both a law firm and a solutions investigations group with a very good brand, D.C. and Delaware and New York City offices and a profitable and interesting global practice. For example, I'm currently representing the Malaysian prime minister and his family. So if it's something which interests you both, let's talk about it at some point. I'm very flexible and we could set it up as an equity share or whatever works best. It would certainly be an honor to work with you both. <laughs> yeah, everyone who is a straight-laced player in the game, always wants to work with Hunter Biden. In fact, it's an honor to work with Hunter Biden. The emails obtained by DailyMail.com from Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop show that around the same time Free was making overtures to the Bidens for business deals, he also gave $100,000 to a trust for Joe Biden's grandchildren. The donation was made to a trust for the children of Hallie Biden, the widow of Joe Biden's late son, Beau, who later became Hunter's lover. And so did her sister. Because the family is just so good and so moral and so upstanding, just really salt of the earth people, those Bidens. But that's strange, isn't it? He gave a hundred thousand dollars to the Biden family, not to Joe Biden himself and not to Hunter Biden himself. They hid that money in a trust fund that was set out in the name of Bo Biden. And we all know that Bo Biden had a tragic death. And so we can't ever talk about anything that has to do with Bo Biden in a bad way, even when it's obvious money laundering and a payoff 
to a political actor for political favors. The email shows the gift was not made to a registered charity, but instead to a private trust. As you know, our family foundation made a $100,000 contribution to Hallie's Children's Trust last year, Free wrote in, a 20, in an April 2017 email. My accountants, PricewaterhouseCoopers, now advise that since the grant did not go to a 501c organization, it was not a proper foundation gift. So we've been in touch with the IRS and PricewaterhouseCoopers to... D- correct the situation as follows. I'll make a new $100,000 gift to Haley's Trust, and Haley's Trust will reimburse the foundation by paying it $100,000. Sorry for the extra burden. Best regards and warm regards to Haley, Dad, and Mom. Hunter replied, thanks so much, and of course, no burden at all. Speak to you soon, Hunter. Yeah, no burden at all. We'll just give that $100,000 back to you so that we can cover up the bad thing And you just give us a different $100,000 that we don't have to cover up because that's just easy. A month earlier, Free had asked Hunter for Joe's contact details to discuss, quote, profitable matters, and Hunter obliged. I saw Dad in St. Joe's and the 900A today, and he said hi, walking back from communion. I didn't get a chance to return greetings, Free wrote on March 12th, 2017. If you have his cell and a personal email, I'd like to have his contacts. We'll protect. I would still like to persuade him to associate with me and FSS, as we have some very good and profitable matters, which he could enhance with minimal time. I wonder if that $100,000 had anything to do with the persuasion. Hunter replied with Joe's personal cell and an email address for Kathy Chung, a staffer from Biden's vice presidential office, who he kept on after leaving the White House. He rarely ever uses email. Chung's email address is also the best way to make sure he gets the message. That's Kathy, whom you have met, Hunter wrote. Free was already close to the Biden family after serving on the Bo Biden Foundation, a charity formed in honor of the president's late son to help prevent child abuse. I wonder who has donated to that foundation. In a 2014 press release, Free described Joe Biden and his son, Bo, as dear friends. And in a May 2010 email to a colleague, Hunter said he was a close friend. Hunter hooked up the former FBI director with a consultancy job representing Romanian real estate tycoon Gabriel Popoviciu. I think is how you say it. Or Viciu. Popoviciu. I don't know. Those Romanian names who was convicted in his home country in 2016 of bribing a university official to buy a 550-acre plot of government-owned land for a drastically reduced price. Popovicu hired Hunter in 2016 and later free as part of a campaign to persuade anti-corruption prosecutors to cut him a deal or drop the case. Man, that sounds almost exactly like what happened in Ukraine. You know, that whole thing that they launched the first impeachment hoax to cover up. After the tycoon was sentenced, Free issued a press release claiming the verdict was not supported either by facts or the law and that there were numerous factual and legal deficiencies in the case against Mr. Popovicu. In a bizarre twist, Free then enlisted the help of Donald Trump's personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, who had been criticizing Hunter for his dealings with allegedly corrupt Eastern Europeans. Yeah, he was way off base. After his commission, Giuliani wrote a letter to then-Romanian President Klaus Johannes criticizing the anti-corruption prosecutions and calling for an amnesty for recent convicts, including Popovicu. 
Another of Free's controversial clients, Benny Steinmetz, has been convicted in corruption cases in both Romania and Switzerland. So this former judge and former FBI director sounds like a great guy. In December last year, the French Israeli billionaire was sentenced by a Romanian court to five years in jail in absentia over the creation of an organized criminal group and the bribing of government officials from 2006 to 2008. In January, Steinmetz, a diamond mining magnet, was also found guilty in a Swiss prosecution of paying $10 million in bribes and forging documents to cover up the payments from 2006 in a successful bid to get iron ore mining licenses in Guinea, Africa. His defense lawyer, Mark Bonnant, told the New York Times Steinmetz would be appealing the charges. Free's consultancy firm, Free, Sporkin, and Sullivan, boasts a stable of high-ranking former U.S. government officials. According to the firm's website, its partners include... Retired federal judge Eugene Sullivan, former New York federal prosecutor Benito Romano, former director of the New Jersey Division of Criminal Justice Gregory Paw, and Ronald Noble, an ex-Treasury and Justice Department official and former 14-year Secretary General of the International Criminal Police Organization. Former FBI Assistant Director Louis Shaliro and Robert O'Neill, a former Navy SEAL Team 6 member who claimed to have killed bin Laden, were both also listed as partners on the site earlier this year, but their names have since been removed. Daily Mail obtained a copy of Hunter's laptop hard drive from former Steve Bannon podcast co-host Jack Maxey. John Paul Mac Isaac, the owner of the computer store where Hunter abandoned his laptop, gave a copy of its hard drive to Donald Trump's lawyer Rudy Giuliani in September last year. Giuliani reportedly leaked documents and photos from the drive to the New York Post and also gave a whole copy of the drive to Trump's former advisor, Bannon, and his co-host, Maxi. Daily Mail commissioned cyber forensics experts, Merriman and Associates, to authenticate the data on the hard drive. In a report compiled for DailyMail.com, the experts concluded the drive appears to be authentic and that after an extensive search of its contents for any telltale signs of tampering, they found no evidence of fabrication. So once again... Hunter Biden's laptop is 100% real. It's not Russian disinformation. It wasn't the product of hacking Twitter. It's just real. So when I say that Joe Biden is the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history, this sort of thing is just scratching the surface. And obviously, I mean, anyone who has looked into Hunter Biden's laptop at all can certainly accept that Hunter is one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. And now, finally, a group of House Intelligence Committee Republicans have prepared a report and their belief, their conclusion from this report, is that it is almost certain that the coronavirus emerged from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. This is from Fox News last night. House Intel Republicans say significant circumstantial evidence of COVID Wuhan lab leak. This is by Brooke Singman on Fox News. Republicans on the House Intelligence Committee say there is significant circumstantial evidence that the COVID-19 outbreak stemmed from a leak at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, urging the federal government to put more pressure on China to allow for a full, credible investigation into the source of the global pandemic. Committee ranking member Devin Nunez from California and Republicans on the panel released a report Wednesday, first obtained by Fox News, saying it is crucial for health experts in the U.S. government to understand how the COVID-19 virus originated to prevent or quickly mitigate future pandemics. International efforts to discover the true source of the virus, however, have been stymied by a lack of cooperation from the People's Republic of China, Republicans wrote. 
Nevertheless, significant circumstantial evidence raises serious concerns that the COVID-19 outbreak may have been a leak from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Republicans pointed to China's history of research lab leaks resulting in infections and warnings from U.S. diplomats in China as early as 2017 that the Wuhan lab was conducting dangerous research on coronaviruses without following necessary safety protocols, risking the accidental outbreak of a pandemic. Lo and behold, Republicans also pointed to public reports that several researchers in the Wuhan lab were sickened with COVID-19 like symptoms in fall 2019 and the Chinese military's involvement in the Wuhan lab. By contrast, little circumstantial evidence has emerged to support the PRC's claim that COVID-19 was a natural occurrence, having jumped from some other species to human, they wrote, saying Chinese authorities have failed to identify the original species that allegedly spread the virus to humans, which is critical to their zoonotic transfer theory. And the article's long. You should read the whole thing. But this is happening. All right. We've been talking about it for a year. And by the way, I'm going to be kind of in transit tomorrow. So I may do like a one year anniversary of my uh, episode called Revisionist History, which I wrote during May of 2020, all about the coronavirus and how we got to the point we were at and how we should have handled it much differently already at that point, just by accepting the facts of the disease as we knew them then. And I think what you'll find in listening to it actually is that where, if and where I got things wrong, I got them wrong in the right direction. And I know that that sounds like a cop-out, but let me explain. If someone says that the virus came from a bat in the Wuhan wet market, we had limited information a year ago, obviously less than we do now, about the theory that the virus emerged from the lab. So anything that's not accurate now from that time was always leaning in the lab direction. So what I'm saying is it was on the right track. And you'll also hear me talk about how the disease could potentially kill five out of a thousand people because I was being ultra conservative in the estimate of the IFR at that time. But again, we find out the IFR is much lower. So the inaccuracies from a year ago don't ever turn out to be something on their side that they, that makes their case stronger, that makes COVID seem more deadly, that makes it seem like lockdowns or masks worked. All of it has continued in our direction, which is the opposite direction of the things the communists say. But the point I'm making was that the counter narrative in opposition to the central narrative, the things we were told by the corrupt mainstream media, by the corrupt public health community, all of that, you know, the science, that counter narrative was always correct. It wasn't wrong back then. It wasn't a conspiracy theory back then. It was just correct. The data was there. All the evidence was there. And the obvious falsehoods from people like Anthony Fauci, from people like Andrew Cuomo, the way the media treated it. All that stuff was obviously false a year ago, but we were called conspiracy theorists and censored for bringing it up. I got censored thousands of times. I got to the point where every story I would put up on Instagram would have a fact check on it. And every one of those fact checks was wrong. And I will go back and argue for every one of those posts. But the point is 
that we delayed our response to an act of war. We delayed our response and mangled our response in terms of anything that the media was promoting or Fauci was promoting, all of that. That was all mangled because they were being dishonest about where the virus came from. It actually was entirely possible for us to know that, save for the fact that China was being totally uncooperative in actually allowing access to the Wuhan Institute of Virology and allowing access to the critical information that could have steered us onto a different course. And just this week, there was video of, of a uh, Chinese national. I think he is actually a professor talking about how China has defeated the United States in biological and economic war. And I'm continually mystified by the fact that we think that we are unable to accept that that's what happened and then respond accordingly, even while people in China admit to it and are proud of it. And of course, it's no coincidence that a person who is completely captured and completely compromised by the Chinese Communist Party is doing absolutely nothing to stand up to that. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate. Or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Backing as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble, 
and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at imyourmoderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!